0: In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil & Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour, and Patrick Pister starts now.
1: Hey, it's Mark Lacour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in hs e in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my talented co-host Patrick Pister. Hey, oh, Mark, how you doing? We're doing good. It's um, floodwaters receding. City life's getting closer back to normal. I'm just happy you did the intro because I've had to do the last couple. You've been gone. <laughs> I've been gone. I've been doing a lot of traveling. And we're actually sitting here in Clockspring Spring in Houston, Texas, corporate headquarters. And who do we have on as guests? today? We've got Buddy Powers and Matt Boucher. How are y'all doing today? Great. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome to the show. So the cool thing is, before we get into Clock Spring's story, um, which is a great story, is, Patrick, what happened when we walked in the door and we met Buddy? We went through a full safety briefing like he should have done right <laughs> yeah and so he let us know that there was no planned drills he let us know where the muster point was and you got to remember this is two guys walking into a podcast which means that clock Spring takes safety so seriously that even the podcast guys have to go through a safety moment
2: well buddy asked us if we didn't back into our parking spaces to go back out and correct action but we did because we always
1: do because we always do because this is our industry and we love it um, but i just thought that was a neat way to start off the show the fact that he actually walked us through that now buddy you didn't do that just because this is an HSN podcast, did you?
3: <laughs> no. This can be a, a testament to that.
1: Yeah, so everybody that comes in the door needs to go through a safety moment.
3: Yes, absolutely. I mean, in terms of uh, you know the moment you drive up into Clockspring, you see a safety culture. When you walk in the door, you see things on the on the walls. You see uh, someone greeting you. You're signing in, and we sense we, we get a sense from people that they they see that safety culture.
1: Yeah, and it's it's real. It's legit. I want to come back to the safety culture. But before we do that, I want to kind of back
3: up. How did you get involved in this industry? I knew when I was in college that I wanted to get into sales. My dad's from the oil and gas industry. I wasn't making the greatest grades in the world. And in terms of, you know, my personality, what it fit, I knew enough to be dangerous. I was good on the technical side in certain aspects. And so technical sales was right for me. So I had a couple of jobs lined out when I graduated in and clock spring because of the the way they approached it was almost had the feel of a startup company. And so uh, it, it, uh, I started in 2000, and it's, you know, I've been in the pipeline industry ever since.
1: Yeah, and so I don't know, Matt, if you want to answer this, or Buddy, you want to answer this, but what does ClockSpring do, and how did y'all get started? Because the way y'all got started is fascinating.
3: Well, I mean, the, the short story is that there was a, a, a guy in California that was developing composites for a number of different applications. Compressed natural gas vehicles to crack arresters for- Air tanks for firemen. Yeah, air tanks for firemen. And so this became sort of a, an investment core for a group in New York that, that tried to develop this technology from his idea and bring it to the oil and gas industry in different forms.
1: And so, but you, when it started though, and we talked about this off the mic, Um, composites was not something that, especially midstream pipeline companies, they didn't want composites, they didn't believe in
3: it, right? No, No, in fact, in the oil and gas industry in general, they did not take on the composite technology as fast as other industries have had. So in terms of usage of composites, knowledge of composites, even in the engineering world, they just weren't comfortable with
2: it. Oh, we're a heavy steel industry. Like we talked about, we over engineer everything and that's our redundancy and safety. And if it's not steel, it's not gonna hold up.
4: Well, and you have to go back, right? I mean, the reason why composites were created in the first place was, was, you know, we had a problem. And the problem was that it is too difficult and too expensive to lift a piece of steel into space. Right? And that is actually where composites came from. It came from the space race. It came from the need to create incredibly strong materials that were also incredibly lightweight. And you know this this company, while, you know, we weren't involved in the space race and the people involved in forming this company weren't involved in the space race. It's that very same technology that was then taken and applied to you know, the the, the energy industry. And,
2: and what are composites? So for our audience understands exactly what we're talking about. What are composites? What exactly are we talking about?
3: Well, we're talking about fibers and resin that are engineered to structurally reinforce pipes. So like Matt's point, thinning out wall, vessels of walls so that they're lighter in weight to break earth's inertia, you can use composites to do that just as effectively. And then
1: from ClockSpring's point of view, y'all are heavy into midstream. And mm-hmm. what y'all do is actually
3: help operators and companies repair leaky pipes well not so much leaking pipe on the high pressure side it structurally reinforces damaged pipe from corrosion and dents and you get into pipelines that are operating for 50 or 60 years you have some vintage issues seam failures you have uh laminations which are you know mill mill defects in the pipe clock spring can reinforce and structurally get you by another you know in theory permanently or 50 years
4: yeah, I mean, nothing's permanent in the ground, right? right? You know, everything's gonna wanna revert to its natural state. You know, luckily for us, the uh, the natural state of composite is still, in fact, composite. It doesn't degrade mm-hmm. over time. But, you know, steel actually isn't, uh, you know, sort of the natural state, right? It's, it's basically, you know, iron ore that was in the ground and, and you know, that was transformed. Yeah, to Buddy's point, you know, the infrastructure of this country includes more than three million miles of buried pipe. That's just transmission pipe that's moving natural gas, that's moving crude oil, that's moving jet fuel, gasoline that we put in our cars. That's three million miles of infrastructure moving stuff all over the United States. It's effectively an underground interstate system that's running, you know, all over the place. And most of that was built at about the same time as the Eisenhower interstate system was built here in the United States. So you're talking about, you know, infrastructure that was largely built out in the 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s. And, you know, you can well imagine, you know, the issues that you're going to deal with, with a piece of, of buried steel. And it doesn't matter how well you code it and how well you take care of it. You know, the fact is, it's, you're going to end up with corrosion issues over time. You're going to end up with, you know, what we call mechanical damage. But, you know, that's really just a dent in a pipe. And you know that dent is caused by you know construction, right? People not calling 811 before they dig, or or you know not doing as good a job marking things out as they should. And and you know I do want to take this opportunity to remind everybody listening to this: if you're going to be working in your yards, you're going to be working you know around your house, especially here in Houston, where so much of the energy industry is, and with how much work's going to be going on over the next couple of years to you know just keep keep people back to where they need to be, call 811 get those get those lines marked out you know it's better to wait a day than get hurt or or worse um and and you know dig safe is there for all of us and it's free service that everybody should call and and that mechanical damage can also be caused by like farmers right i mean a lot of these right of ways actually go through people's farmlands throughout the country and you know they're dragging a you know some kind of farming equipment and they nick a pipe and uh you know our our product is designed to to really rehabilitate that pipe and in fact you know we can deal with up to 80% wall loss so pipe that's so only 20% pipe. of itself and you know where you put the product on pipes actually stronger than than it was originally designed to be
1: so we talked you went over this which is a good point our infrastructure in the US and all over the world but in the US particularly is aging and that aging infrastructure then increases the chance of failure, right? So y'all are able to come in and help operators and help companies make sure they can fix those failures before there's actually an incident. So driving huge safety metrics, mm-hmm. right, in, in our industry. And I wanna come back, we're gonna go full circle. Well, taking
4: but, care of the environment too, by the way. Right, you know, right. It's really we, important.
1: Yeah, because none of us its uh, none of us want anything to leak. None of us want any type of incident out there. Uh, the industry as a whole is like that, especially here and in Europe. And a lot of people don't understand that we actually take it very seriously, our environmental responsibility. So I want to kind of go back in a full circle. The whole reason that I even came across ClockSpring, and now I know what y'all do, and I've done some research on you, and you're one of those big companies I'd never heard of before, right? I run across those all the time. But what was cool is I actually got a press release because a lot of the world sees me and Patrick and other podcast hosts as press for oil and gas, and it talked about your incredible safety record here. You want to talk a little bit about that? Because that that is great crazy great stuff.
4: Sure. And, and, you know, let me just jump in and say, I, I don't want to use the word proud because proud isn't the right word. You know, saying we're proud of our safety record is like, it's, it's like the same as congratulating somebody for not robbing a bank, right? <laughs> right. It's just the right thing to do. Um, but yeah, we did announce here recently that we had achieved two years without a single incident uh, or recordable incident in our plant. And, and, you know, I think as we all know in this industry, you know, safety isn't an accident, right? It's something that you have to be purposeful about and diligent about, you know, every single day. And, and so, you know, we wanted to just, you know, let the world know that, that, that we do care about it and, and you know, we care about it down to our toes. It's just something that, in fact, I always like to say to the team, it's not enough that people go home in 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 the same shape that they came in at. It's actually our job as a management team to make sure that when people leave work at the end of the day, they're actually in better shape than when they came in. That means they're mentally fulfilled. That means they feel like they contributed to something. And of course it means that, you know, they didn't get hurt and that we took good care of them during the day.
1: So Matt, I want to come back to you from a leadership point of view around safety, but I, I actually want to take this moment to mention. So Buddy, is is the one that put us through our safety moment. Buddy's the one that walked us through the warehouse, gave us a tour, made sure we had steel toes, eyes. Um, Buddy, you're a sales guy. Mm. So the culture in this company is to the point where the sales organization takes safety as serious as everybody else. That's really cool. So Matt, I wanna get back to you. From a leadership point of view, how do you instill safety into your people where they actually buy into it? So this isn't you top down. Your frontline people, your sales people, believe in this heart and soul. You know, uh,
4: what it, it, it does start top-down, right? That's, that's where you have to start. You have to decide it's going to be a priority for the company. And, you know, I've been in and around the energy industry for about 10 years. I spent the first 10 years of my career in the technology industry. But I, I've been in the energy for, for, you know, 10 years. And, I and of course, we're all committed to safety in one way or the other. And it's actually really been amazing over 10 years to see how that culture's evolved in totally in, in the industry. If you actually go back and look at the data, you can actually see from 1970 with the creation of OSHA and NIOSH, you can actually see how safety's evolved over time. And, and I remember 10 years ago, you know for a company to have a TRR of like 1.1, 1.2, that was considered like really good. And now, if you're not like zero point something you know, right. it's, one would be a tragedy, but it does stop. Top, it does start top down, and you have to decide it's going to be. You have to decide it's going to be a priority. But then what you have to do is you have to show a commitment to it that is that is unwavering and never fail to invest in it when you have the chance, and that's how you get people to buy in. And it's and it's little things. You know, we've done all kinds of things since I started at the company, you know, a couple years ago, to to drive safety. That includes in our manufacturing process we have basically exacto knives that are used in the process and you know we took a look at those knives and we said hey look these knives are unsafe we need to get different knives and then some of the guys pushed back on that cuz they didn't like working with those knives so they liked working with the knives that you know we considered you know air quotes unsafe well then how okay, how do we make those knives safe right well we got to get everybody leather you know, leather leather aprons, and we got to get them special gloves. And so, every time we've run into one of those things, the next day, what we had that leather apron in here, we had those gloves in here. And so, every single time that we've had an opportunity to deal with a safety issue, we take the time to deal with it. We never fail to spend money on it. It's just not even a profit consideration. It's just the right thing to do. And you know, over time, what starts to happen when people see us. Not only say say it and put the programs in, but when they see us back it up with resources, dollars, training, whatever it is, you know that's when they start to buy in. And you know, one of the things that I always say to our team is, I'll know that we have a great safety culture. And by the way, I don't think we have a great safety culture yet. I'll know we have a great safety culture when I see everybody taking care of everybody else. In, in a prior life, I actually had the opportunity to be inside a fireproofing shop in just outside of Edmonton in, in Niskew, Canada. And um, I was really impressed with this company because, you know, I was watching people putting Pyrocrete on different structural members that were going to go into an upgrader up in Fort McMurray. And, you know, there was and, – and so these, these beams were on these benches, and people were – we're working on them and i saw guys you know when somebody been down i would see like three guys say make sure when you get up you know where that beam is so you don't hit your head and when i saw it, i said wow that company has an awesome safety culture so we don't back so we always back it up we never fail to spend the money on the safety things when we need to spend the money on them and and well, you you know, use we the term, to you use the term
2: top down it, it a culture has to be yes but it, it y'all also have it sounds more like a closed loop if you have a you implement a new change. We're going to go to these knives. Mm-hmm. You're taking feedback. We can't use these knives because they're not letting me do my job for ABC. Right. But then you're implementing a solution. All right, well, if we're going to go back to the old way of doing things, let's get a leather apron. Let's get up upgraded gloves. Where a lot of cultures, safety cultures, it is top-down. It's you're going to wear these gloves. Well, they're not fit for purpose. It doesn't matter. These are the most safe gloves. We're going to use them. We're not going to have fit for purpose. Just wear these and there's not that closed loop. There's not the feedback from the guys actually doing the job, letting you know, I can't do my job successfully because of the change you made. And because I'm not doing the job safely, I'm not going to wear my PPE. I'm not going to actually do it. I'm going to try and get around it. But y'all don't have that problem. You actually, I, you say top down, but I see a closed loop.
4: Well, I, I appreciate that. You know, all I can tell you is is when I came in, I said, hey, we're not doing enough. And, and that's where it started. And, you know, our style has always been just to, to get input from people because hey look this is a business right we want to be successful we want to make money and and the team said you're you're making me less productive you're you know you're you're hurting the business and and so we've got a bunch of people that really care about the business too and you know and I said yeah but I want you to be safe and and you know I actually it's interesting I actually gave a talk in India this week of all places and I talked about safety and somebody got up and said cuz that's something that they're really starting to embrace in India now I gave a talk, and, and somebody got up and said, you know, who do you get involved when you want to override the safety procedures? And, uh, and, he, and he said, is it the HSE manager? Is it the project manager? And I said, well, first of all, why would you ever want to override the safety procedures? You know, that's number one. I do understand that you run into situations where the defined safety safety procedure, the prescribed safety procedure might not work because of something you're dealing with. And I said, so, you know, what you want to do then is get your HSE manager, get as many people involved as you need to, and have a conversation about what it is you're trying to accomplish, what the safety things, what the safety hazards you're trying to deal with or overcome or mitigate are, and come up with a procedure right there and then on the spot that deals with those hazards and mitigates those hazards and, and ideally removes or or you know obfuscate, you know, takes those hazards away. But Never ever override the safety procedures. Well you're right. Find it, another it, way. It's about risk mitigation. That's what safety
2: procedures are. They're a top down the corporate policy is we're gonna mitigate the risks, the hazards by implementing these. But certain conditions are outside of those, you know, generalities. So you have to be able to assess, get as many people involved, get your HSC manager, get the operations guys, get somebody that knows about why you know, if it's a weather condition, if it's a location issue and risk assess and that's what it's about it's about uh, addressing the issues risk assessing and applying the either prevention or mitigations
1: yeah i want to go back to buddy real quick so the the way that y'all repair pipe in itself is safer right no welding machines no a-frames with winches no dig i mean mean, you may have to uh, you have to unbear the pipe but just the fact that you're able to come in and repair the pipe without welding in itself is a safety driver
3: that's right that's right when we look at clock spring and that client interface. You know, my, my area of sales, product management, technology sales, uh, we are looking at areas to, to promote safety and the sustainability of that. And so whether we look at installation variables uh, on the pipeline right away, uh, but also to the people that are working there. And so it's been nice to be under this new leadership to have the conversations with the client base that we have, and to talk about the safety aspects that promote clock spring. I don't know if they were thinking about that at the time of the, the development of clock spring as much, but yeah, striking an arc, heavy lifting of equipment, but also you're looking at the cumulative effect of that. So when we work on pipelines that have thin wall, a lot of times when you're welding on a pipe, you don't know what the wall thickness is that you're welding on. They have a number of burn-through accidents in our industry that happen every year, some fatalities.
1: And back up real quick, if I already said know what a burn-through incident is, what is that?
3: Well, that's when you have walls so thin and you heat up the pipe with the arc that you're striking when you're welding that you actually burn through the wall and create a leak while you have an, uh, a live arc.
1: And typically what may have been in that pipeline is flammable. It's a yes. bad, bad combination. Yes, yeah.
3: and so I had a client come to me, you know, a number of years ago, and we were talking about clock spring, and and he was a part of that 1980s movement to use uh, clock spring in the pipeline industry, and he talked about how you can't define or quantify how many lives you potentially save, because you realize the majority of the pipelines that are in our industry are are, are under a half-inch wall thickness, right? Most of them are in the quarter of an inch wall thickness. Some are even thinner than that. 0.55 0.55 point, point five inches so there's not a lot of room for error when you're talking about repairing corrosion defects
2: well you brought up a good point I, I remember seeing a safety video of a guy welding a piece of pipe sorry he wasn't well he was cutting through a piece of pipe and he didn't realize there was some stored tension in there so as soon as he got through it that pipe shot up 10 feet and threw the guy off of it and it's something you it, until you started talking about cutting through the pipe I didn't didn't remember seeing but it you, you don't know what hazards are there if you've got two sections, two ends of the pipe are buried, you could have some stored tension there as well.
4: You know, and, and that's actually one of the coolest things about Clockspring is, you know, it's not just our internal safety that we're really trying to drive. We're trying to we're trying to bring products we we bring and are continuing to bring products to market that really enhance the safety of of everybody who works in and around the industry that we serve. Um, you know, the buddy's point we don't we don't want people striking an arc near a pipe that's full of stuff that tends to want to blow up good idea it, yeah, yeah right <laughs> uh, um, you know because because we just don't want to see anybody get hurt we don't want to see anybody anybody be damaged somehow. And you know, it's interesting when we when we talk about safety, a lot of times we get caught in TRR and we get caught in hand injuries and eye injuries and slip trip and fall and and you know line of fire injuries where we're passing things back and forth because those are the things that tend to drive our TRR statistics, right? It's a hand injury or it's it, it's it's something, you know, a piece of debris in the eye or or what have you. And you know, sometimes we actually lose track of, you know, what's known as the fatal four. And, and, you know, uh, a couple of those fatal four include, uh, you know, one is fall from heights, right? So we're not as worried about that, you know, when we're dealing with pipelining the ground. But, you know, one is fall from height. You know, the next is explosions, actually. And so, you know, we feel like we're actively dealing with, you know, part of that fatal four. The next is exposure to chemicals or inhalation of chemicals. And again, You know, when we're talking about stuff, you know, it ain't chocolate milk that's moving through these pipes, you know, around the country, you know, and the last is actually contact with objects, the majority of which tends to be a falling object that, that lands on somebody. And so, yeah, you're, to your point, you're not talking about an A-frame or lifting straps or cranes, right. And people having to be managing those loads, right. And so we feel really great every day that we get to be part of not only taking care of critical infrastructure but also that we give opportunity for all of our customers to be safer
1: in everything that they do. Yeah, and the coolly, go ahead, buddy.
3: Well, I just wanted to add, you know, on the customer interface part, where I've been around almost 20 years, that conversation is vital to that customer interface. When you're talking to them, right now in this stage of my career, I'm talking about products, technology, innovation, with the core pillars of safety okay risk management things that are going to be valuable to them at different levels you're going to have an executive buyer that's going to have a different level of need than say a user buyer but to that point i think that all all of these levels within these organizations the org chart are talking more in terms of safety and how we can promote that so the industry that we're in pipeline industry primarily and even the oil and gas in general they're talking about sustainability they're talking about, do you live it? Do you breathe it? Do you actually go home and put on earmuffs while you're mowing the grass? Are you backing in when you're at a restaurant, even though you're not on work time? Those are the kind of I've things. had so
2: many parking spaces stolen because I was backing <laughs> in. It. It just, <laughs>
3: and, and you see it in your neighborhoods, right? You can see the guy with the earmuffs and the safety glasses mowing his grass, and you're like, he's in the oil and gas yep. industry. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come into this building asking me, since I started, you know, here when since we started instituting the backup, why do you guys back up? Oh, you must not be in our oil and gas industry. Here's why: first, move forward. Safest way to approach uh, getting out of the parking lot. God forbid there's an emergency where everybody has to get out immediately. Then we probably should be moving forward first. Yeah. Well, it's-
4: you know, you guys think it's bad. I got a 15 year old daughter who's learning how to drive right now, <laughs> and I'm trying to. And, and parking is something she's struggling with, and and it's part of it's because dad's making her learn that you only back into a spot. And uh, and 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 teaching her, hey, look, when you stop at a stoplight, you want to give yourself enough room where if you need to move around, you don't have to back up. You always want to maintain four seconds, right? Yeah. And that stuff's hard in Houston on I-10. Yeah. You know what I'm well, talking not, about? Well, not
2: just the ability to get in and out of a space, yeah. but the, the theory is you're more cognizant of what you're doing when you're when you're at the end of your ride. You've been aware of the hazards. So when you're backing in, you're looking around more versus when you first get in the car, you tend to your brain needs to get in, in the mindset of driving. So when you're backing up out of a space, you're not as cognizant as you would be at the end of it. That's kind of a you know a logical step I've heard with the backing mm-hmm. in
1: process. And yeah. It's funny about the kids. So my son, I make him, he cannot come down the stairs as his hand on a stairwell, right? So our, our children, of the people that work in this industry, go pick some of that stuff up too, which is actually kind of cool. Three points yeah. of contact, yeah. that's right, yeah. always. Yeah. So, um, so So one of the other things I want to talk about that, that I thought was really interesting is the fact that this technology... This composite technology um, was invented for aerospace, which makes total sense. I didn't know that. But, yeah, they needed something that was strong and light. And it's worked its way over to oil and gas. And y'all come in and y'all y'all do permanent repairs to infrastructure, to pipelines, right, in a way that is environmentally responsible, it's cost effective, and, it, and it's less of a chance of getting somebody injured because of what we just talked about, welding equipment, lifting straps, all that sort of stuff. From a sales point of view, buddy, you've been doing this for a long time. Was it a bit of a struggle to help the industry understand all the benefits of what y'all do? I wish everybody could see his eyes right now. He's got crazy eyes
0: right now.
3: There's so much to get into during that time. Like I said, the way, the best way to describe it, we were a startup, you know, sort of pioneering and walking our way through the process of having a major organization change the way they perform pipeline repairs. So that meant that on any given day I could be in the field training very important people that are actually executing the work in the integrity management group, but then also in the next day in the boardroom, discussing how we're going to write this SOP or put language in the O&M so that when they get audited, that they won't get in trouble. We were interfacing with codes and recommended practices, the Department of Transportation at that time, the regulatory bodies, waivers were being signed. It was an interesting time, but I think the most important thing that, you know, looking back on it, is that the ideas that ClockSpring generated, why it was valuable, it was enhanced by the operators. They saw things that we did not see. They brought derivative products to the table, and we we can get into those, but they're spinoff of ClockSprings that have provided tremendous value to the industry. Uh, So they're giving us feedback on how they can utilize this technology better than we could.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. You're basically working with the industry to help make it better and safer for everybody. That's right. So oh, we,
2: we talk about risk, risk mitigation, but if you can eliminate a hazard, that is the, well, that is the gold standard and, to do and, it. And,
4: and that's actually what I was talking about in India. I said, you know, so much of our time is spent trying to, you know, whether it, it's a JSA moment or hazard assessment or, you know, whatever you want to call it, right, that initial pause before you do the job where you identify all the hazards and you know figure out what your plan is well let's just take the hazards away right because the one thing we know for sure is if you don't do it you're not likely to get hurt doing it right and you know that's really what we're all about here
2: yeah we had another guest on the show where they they pioneered rope access inspection Mm -hmm. in tanks and now they're pioneering manless tank inspection so they're getting people out of tanks. You're getting people to stop doing hot work. You If you can stop an activity that's viewed hazardous and has has more risks, don't just mitigate it. Don't just say, all right, have your PPE on and and be safe, but let's not do the hot work. Let's implement this other tool that will help us be safer because the person's not doing the job that they puts them in harm
4: way. It's funny, actually, you bring up broke ac- rope access. We actually just demonstrated and will shortly formally announce. A product that is designed to not do away with rope access, but for the guys that have to do under deck repair work on, you know, offshore platforms, the the current repair solution is probably, you know, when it's all said and done, a two to three day repair. So you're going to have people on ropes, you know, above the ocean. Uh, in, ropes you know, or scaffolding. It's yeah, one of the exactly. two. That's kind of that's yeah. all you're stuck with. And you know, doing that for two or three days, and we've actually come up with a new sleeve system that they can use and they can do that same repair just a handful of hours. Like I said, it doesn't do away with the rope, but it sure gets us off the ropes a lot faster.
1: Man, it's really great stuff. So we're getting close to where we need to sort of wind down the show. This is the time, buddy, for our Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week. you have a safety tip you wanna share with our audience?
3: Well, I I will stick with the clock spring installation. And I think we talked about it earlier. And when we look at what are the biggest hazards when we install a clock spring itself is cutting hazards. We open up boxes, we have uh, knives that are actually in the kit. Over the years, we used the, the Xacto razor knives. As Matt mentioned earlier, we have now retractable knives in the kits. For me, from not only the client interface but also just the employees that are installing them, that we're willing to go the extra mile to make sure that there's not any hazards. To the point, if you don't have to, if you don't have to do something, then the knife being exposed will not cut you. So if it's retracted back into the sleeve. Well, I'll tell our
2: audience you all believe it because that was in our safety briefing, not have uh, pocket knives on you, which I always carry. So I put mine in my bag. I'm not going to violate your policies and, and you, breathe, you well, live Well,
4: you know, and that's that's actually, uh, you know, if if people have, you know, box cutters and X-Acto knives at home, you know, that we use all the time, you know, I would encourage all of them to go out and make sure that it's not going to cost that much money. Have retra- Have knives that when you're not using them, they automatically retract. Because you know you put that thing down, a kid goes running by, somebody like that. You know, just get those retractable knives. That's why we put them in the kits. That's why we make the guys use them in the back. Just go out and get them. I, I know the, I know the guys depot. offshore
2: when they when they first made that policy. It, it's annoying to use because it self retracts. If you're not using, it's not just there at the ready, but
1: it is safer. It, it's a safer way to operate. And you know what's cool, Patrick? They didn't. didn't have to do that. Y'all could have put the cheaper fixed blade knives there, but for your clients, your customers, the guys in the field, y'all did that for them. That's awesome.
4: You know, we don't need the twenty cents. Yeah. <laughs> you know <what> I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah. And speaking of bags, Patrick, I'm going to really tell you something. I bet you don't know. Uh, what is that? So, Buddy and Matt, you see that bag over there? That's the Red Wing Offshore bag, right? We give away one a week. We're going to give away one this week. It's in high demand. It's become a cult item. People offer us cash for that darn thing. I keep telling Patrick we should reverse engineer and send it to China and make some money. <laughs> off it. But Patrick, do you know that bag actually converts to a backpack? I think I did know that. I
2: think we used it in the. In the airport, going to going to Minnesota. Oh, you went did! Up know to Red Wing. It. I yeah, didn't yeah.
1: know it. So when I came back from Tennessee, I, my bag fell down, and I saw there's a zipper on the bottom, yep. and I unzipped it. So not only is it an awesome offshore bag, it's awesome, awesome backpack, offshore backpack. So well, I've used mine on. a lot
2: more. My bag
1: has actually been offshore. Mark's
2: hasn't, so uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So Patrick, who's this week's winner? This week's winner, of the Red Wing Offshore Bag, is Rodney Singleton. Rodney's an account manager at Industrial Info Resources. Congratulations, Rodney.
1: So if you'd like to win your own offshore bag, uh, but Buddy and Matt, y'all can do this too. Just go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information there. We draw one lucky winner a week. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. Uh, Matt and Buddy, thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to put a link in the show notes so people can go to ClockSpring's website and learn more about, more about ClockSpring because I think what y'all doing is awesome stuff. If you're an operator of any sort out there and you have pipelines and you have integrity issues, reach out to these guys. They won't try to sell you stuff. They'll try to help you, right, help you understand if what they do could be a benefit to your business.
2: Yeah, and if you're not 100% sure what we've been talking about, y'all have a great video of the installation of this, this technology in there. So I, we'll put a link in there. So if you're, if you're still wor- wonder, wondering about this technology, go there, check the video out, and it'll show
1: the installation of uh, one of these clock springs. Yeah, and if people wanted to learn more about y'all, I'm guessing LinkedIn probably is the best place to go.
3: Yes.
4: And yeah. there's bios about both of us on our website.
1: Okay, so we'll put links in the show notes for that as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. Um, so, Patrick, are you ready to get out of here? No, I'm not. No, you're not? Nope, we got to talk about events and oh. travel sponsors oh, and all, right. all the that's good right.
2: stuff. So what events do we have coming up? I don't have my show notes open. I was just at the Internet of Things conference, and that, uh, that episode went out last week, I think. Yeah, I missed that
1: because I was in Tennessee with It was a good work. one. It was a we have um, SPEATCE coming up, and we have um, OilCom got pushed out uh, till November, I believe. So we have some shows coming up. IDC, a human performance conference is coming up. Yeah. So if you want to learn about these shows and more, it's really simple. Go to modalpoint.com. go to the blog, uh, or you can click the link that Patrick put in the show note. We have a month- monthly newsletter where we take all the oil and gas events from all over the place, put them in one place, stick it in your inbox once a month for free as a favor to you. The truth is I need it for myself. So I made my interns do it. So <laughs> that's the real truth. Um, and then travel sponsors with hats off to Total Land, the world's most advanced field land management system. Uh, Uh, check them out if you're in that upstream world if you're a landman they make your job so much easier and then Lee Heck Harrison Global Experts in Talent Management Uh, lh is currently helping over 75% of the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies with workforce transformation and leadership so if you need some help with any of that reach out to our travel sponsors they are who allow us to go to all these events all these conferences and expos and actually visit with our audiences
2: and our regular listeners know Mark likes to throw an extra and in there it's just LHH.com that's right Lee Heck Harrison yeah that's right
1: I (laughs) still mess that up All right, now you ready to get out of here? I'm ready now. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great.
0: Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil & Gas HSE Podcast, a production of the Global Oil & Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London, to Dubai and beyond.